0: On Joseph, life's pain and God's purposes, things are going well for Joseph, and then they go drastically wrong. But uh, let me read the word of God to you, and then we'll pray. Chapter 39 of Genesis says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. For Joseph's sake, the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, each dream with its own interpretation. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were, with his, when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. The word of God. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that um, you are present with us. And I pray as we bring real questions to you this morning and we look at a very real story, that you would work in our hearts to bring a deeper trust, a deeper loyalty towards you, and a deeper assurance of your love and presence towards us. Be with me as I speak. Uh, Give me the right words to say, Lord Jesus, and be with everyone as, as we hear together your word. Might New City be changed through hearing your word this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, as I said, we're on our second sermon of the story of Joseph. And the question for today is, where is God? That's a question that I hear a lot, particularly as you look around in the world and you see issues of brokenness in the world around us. You see terrorist attacks, you see racial tension, you, you see people being murdered for no reason at all. And the question is always, where is God? Where's God? But it's not just out there, it's, it's in here. It's in our lives. We have all been through stuff. We've been through difficult things. And we ask that question too, where is God? When I go through adversity and when I struggle and when I go through trials, Where is God? because it just seems like he's so distant in those moments. It seems like the pain can be pointless because we can't feel his presence. This story is gonna help us in those moments. This story about Joseph is gonna help us in those moments because through this story, we see that the Lord is present with his people in adversity. The Lord is present with his people when they go through trials and hardships. And not only that, he's purposeful with his people. It means that there's a point to the pain. It's not purposeless. The Lord is orchestrating things to bring about greater good. And really that's the point of the whole chapter that we're looking at. Did you you hear the phrase? Did you see the phrase over and over again? It said, the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. Four times, two times in the beginning, two times at the end. And really, that's what this sermon is about. The Lord was with Joseph. So let's unpack that phrase, what that means right from the get-go. The Lord was with Joseph when he sold into Potiphar's house and when he's doing his tasks as a slave. It's interesting though, that it doesn't say God was with Joseph. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. What's that about? Why doesn't it say God? Because that term, the Lord, isn't used much throughout the story of Joseph. It usually says God. And when Joseph speaks, he says God. He doesn't say the Lord. But when the storyteller tells us the story, it says the Lord, the Lord. Well, the Lord is not actually a title. It's a word that represents God's personal name. It's a word that represents God's personal name, and that name is usually revealed by God when he enters into relationship with people, when his presence is near, when he makes promises to people, when he's knowable, when he's showing something about himself. For instance, 400 years later, when we read the book of Exodus, 400 years later, God reveals himself to Moses. And Moses and the people have been in Egypt for 400 years, Joseph's descendants. And and God shows up in a burning bush and says, I want you to rescue my people, Moses. I want you to rescue my people from Egypt. And Moses says, who should I say is leading this thing? When I go back to the people, when I go back to the leaders of Israel, and when I go to the Pharaoh, who should I say is doing this thing? And God gives his personal name. He says, tell them, tell the people, tell the leaders, tell Pharaoh that I am sent you. I am. Now that word is what we we get to when we talk about the Lord. God's personal name is I am, or in Hebrew, Yahweh, Yahweh. Now I know that some people say you shouldn't say that word at all, particularly if you come from a Jewish background. And the reason I'm saying is because God tells Moses to say it. He tells Moses to say it to the people, to the leaders, and, to, the peop- and to, the, to Pharaoh himself. And what that term means is definitely that God is self-existent. I am, I am who I am. Definitely th- that he doesn't need anything, but he uses his personal name when he makes promises to people. He uses his personal name when he shows up and is knowable by people. He uses his personal name when he is with his people in adversity. And now, the Lord, I am, Yahweh, is saying that he is with Joseph in this trial. It's amazing that this God chooses to identify with people who are enslaved, both Joseph and the people of Israel. If you're a God in the ancient Near East, it's all about power. It's all about picking the people for the you know the, the gods of the nations would, would quote unquote pick people who were powerful and people who are gonna rule over everybody else. And yet the God, the true God, the God who calls himself Yahweh or I am, chooses to identify with people who are on the bottom of the totem pole and be present with them in their adversity and make promises to them and reveal his name to them when they have nothing to offer, not only him, but anyone else. God is not an impersonal force, but a relational God who reveals his personal name to his people. God is not an unknowable deity, but rather one who is near and makes promises to the people he loves. God is not a distant being who sort of messes with people for fun. Rather, he is the one who says, I will be with you. So we ask the question, where is God in the midst of Joseph's hardship? God, the Lord, Yahweh, is with Joseph. He is with Joseph. And and if, if you know Jesus, he's with you as well. This God who has a name, who reveals himself to his people is with you. And that means that whatever you're going through in your life, if you know Jesus, that thing does not separate you from God. God is present with you in that thing, in that trial. He is right there with you. Now, I know it always feels like he is distant. I know it feels at times like he's not there and that it's pointless. But the story of Joseph tells us, listen, no, the Lord is with Joseph and the Lord is with us even when the adversity is great. In fact, Joseph has been been through nothing but adversity. You can just imagine the pit he was thrown into. Maybe even hearing his brothers talk about the plans for him. Who knows how deep and dark it was And who knows what kind of fear he felt as he began to say, I think my life is about to drastically change. And then when he's pulled out of that pit and we can guess he was either put in a cage or he's roped for the journey to Jesus and he's looking, journey to Egypt, sorry, was a journey to Jesus, but more that it was a journey to Egypt. And you can imagine as he looks at those ropes on his hand and the picture is becoming more clear that this is not going to be a good trip. And then as he's put into a market and he's sold and he catches eyes for the first time with his new master and then he's taken into this new master named Potiphar. He's taken into his home. And for the first time, he's given directions that show that he's subhuman. That's adversity. And yet in that adversity, God is with Joseph. God is with Joseph The other thing that shows up in this first paragraph is really interesting. It's not just that God was with Joseph, but the term Egypt shows up three or four times. Egypt, which in the Bible is a a land of oppression. God is with him there on this foreign country. Back at that time in the ancient Near East, people believed that gods had geographical boundaries. There were limits put on them. So Egypt had their gods and Egypt's gods ruled over Egypt. But then Canaan had their gods and Canaan's gods ruled over Canaan. But here we have a picture of Yahweh, whose promised land is Canaan in Egypt, taking care of his people, being present with his people in a foreign land. And we're meant to see that not only is God present with Joseph, but God is bigger than any other God. He's the God that has no geographical boundaries. He is the true superpower. He's not only personal because he's with Joseph, but he's powerful because he's with Joseph in Egypt. In Egypt. And that means that even though he's in a land where other gods are supposed to be ruling, he is working out his purposes because those gods hold no weight compared to I am, compared to Yahweh, compared to the Lord. And those purposes are to bless the nations. If you back up in the story and you go way back to Joseph's great granddaddy, Abraham, I am shows up to Abraham and says, I'm going to multiply your family and I'm going to use your family to bless the world in And you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The whole world would experience I am's grace and favor and learn about him through this family. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. So interesting when the gods of those days were about power and crushing other nations and having their people win. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob is about blessing others. He's personal, he's powerful, but his purposes are to bless the world. And so Joseph finds himself in this position in Egypt where God is using him. Joseph's purpose then becomes to be a blessing to Potiphar, an Egyptian, not one of God's people. And the Lord is with Joseph and and through that Potiphar prospers. Joseph's presence in his home means that things are going really well. Things are going really well, and Potiphar recognizes the connection. Because Joseph's God is with him, things are going well in my home. And all of a sudden, Joseph's purpose becomes a little bit clearer. It's interesting, that seems a little bit mundane, right? We'd want something a little bit more dramatic. God shows up in mighty ways and reveals his purpose and we do great things. No, it's, it's simple. It's being the best servant in the house. That's what Joseph does. It's, it's very mundane rather than dramatic. It's, it's in humble circumstances rather than an ascension to glory. And that's helpful for us because so often we think that God is not using us unless we're doing something that we think is great. Joseph's story shows us that what's more important is being faithful where you're planted. Now, look, I'm not saying that slavery is okay. Paul in the New Testament tells people who are enslaved, if you can get out of it, get out of it. Because it, 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 it de-dignifies humanity. And yet at the same time, Joseph can't get out of it. And so he's faithful where he's at. He's faithful where he's at to be a blessing. Could it be that maybe for you, you are trying to get out of adversity to find your purpose when God wants you to show, show you your purpose through adversity? Hmm. Now, I know that brings tension. And Joseph had tons of tension in this home. He does all the good work and Potiphar gets blessed. There's some tension. Potiphar gets blessed and he gets more responsibility. He gets more responsibility and Mrs. Potiphar takes notice. And all of a sudden the tension goes to sexual tension and Joseph is in a rough spot. Mrs. Potiphar sets her eyes on Joseph. He's young, he's handsome, he's got his act together, he's running the household and she approaches him and says, Joseph, let's do some Netflix and chill. And Joseph says, I know what that means. No, I will not. I will not lie with you. It's amazing to me that Joseph's character and loyalty really comes out because in this situation, you know, in our day and age, it would be very easy to say, my life is hard. I need to take the edge off a little bit and a sexual encounter will help me do that. I deserve this because life has been so difficult for me and what's a little thing on the side? Or how about even this? It would have been very easy for Joseph to say, I am under Mrs. Potiphar. Technically, she's oppressing me, so I kind of have to just give in. But Joseph doesn't do that. Joseph tells Mrs. Potiphar, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. And then listen to this. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph character is revealed in this story that he's incredibly loyal he's loyal to Potiphar he sees that Potiphar has given him an amazing amount of responsibility and even though Potiphar has enslaved him he says I don't want to betray that trust but not only that he says even though God has brought me here I do not want to give an offense to God I do not want to give an offense to God Joseph has had incredible sin done against him. He has, been, he has had grotesque injustice performed on him. He has been subjected to profound evil against him, yet he cannot betray Potiphar. And even greater, he refuses to sin against God. Just because some stuff has been done against you by somebody else, it doesn't give you an excuse to do some stuff to other people. Feeling let down by God also isn't a good reason to sin against God. And Joseph's character really points us to that. It's not just that Joseph is a great guy. It's that God, Joseph knows that God is present with him even in adversity. And Joseph is responding to God's loyalty to him by being loyal to God and loyal to Potiphar. And this tension continues though. Day after day, it says Mrs. Potiphar grabs Joseph and makes advances on him. And it says he would not listen until one day until one day the tension has been building and she just grabs him and says, let's do this. And at this point, Joseph knows, he knows that this is the moment where he has got a decision to make. And Joseph kneels down on his knees and begins to pray to God, no. Joseph reflects and says, how long should I consider this before I make a decision? No, Joseph runs. Joseph books it out of that house and gets as far away from Miss Potiphar as he can. And there again, we see something of the character that we can look to. Uh, Too often when you and I face temptation, we spend too long considering it. Whether it's sexual temptation or whatever it is, we linger too long. We linger too long. And I know it's hard, I've talked to a lot of people who said, I don't, I don't understand, you know, I love God and I love somebody else, so what's wrong with me giving myself to sexually to someone else um, who's not my spouse? And let me just say this, you might not understand how that's an offense to God, but you, might, you don't have to fully understand it. You have to understand that that issue is important to God and to be loyal to God, you need to follow him and obey him and run away from temptation whether that temptation is sexual or something else. We watched a movie the other night, War Room, over at my house. We had some folks from here that came. And uh, the husband, I think his name was Tony. He lingered a little bit too long in a situation and he almost gave in and the story would have gone a dramatically different direction. It started with a simple conversation that was a little bit flirtatious, an exchange of phone numbers, a sit down meal with another woman. And then all of a sudden she says, I'm here and I'm ready. And then God, Tony in the movie, got his act together and got out of there. But what if he hadn't? And what if you hadn't? And what if Joseph hadn't? Who knows the destruction that that would have caused? Our our, our tendency is to run away from adversity and linger around temptation. Our tendency is to run away from adversity and linger around temptation. And Joseph shows us a little bit of of the pattern of being loyal to God. It's to linger in adversity, not be quick to run away from it, but get the heck out of Dodge in the midst of temptation. Joseph embraces adversity and he's gonna have to embrace more because Miss Potiphar grabs a cloth from his body and tells a lie about what Joseph did. He says she is spurned because he ran away and she tells everybody, including her husband, that Joseph raped me. And this Hebrew that you brought into the house, Potiphar, raped me. And Potiphar throws him in jail. Where was God in that? Joseph did exactly what he was supposed to do. And yet he's punished for following God and being loyal to God and being loyal to Potiphar and and doing his job well and running away from temptation. Where was God in that? Well, loyalty to God doesn't guarantee favor with man. Loyalty to God doesn't guarantee favor with man. In fact, Jesus says the opposite. If you're loyal to God, people are not gonna like you. People are not gonna like you. But God was there in that moment. See, Potiphar had every right to execute Joseph. In that day and age, adultery, the consequence was execution. Now, we don't know why Potiphar didn't execute Joseph. Maybe it's because he didn't trust Mrs. Potiphar and he knew there was more to the story. We don't know, but we know that he didn't and he could have because that was normal. Was God there? Was God there changing the story a little bit so that Joseph didn't die, but was rather put in prison, right? Where God wanted him to be so that God could use him for his purposes. See, when you and I go through, through adversity, it often feels like we're going in free fall. You ever feel like that? things are changed in your life and it's just like, whoa. I, I do that with my kids sometime. I pick them up and I, and their eyes go like this because they, they think I've dropped them, but I haven't dropped them. And God hasn't dropped Joseph and God has not dropped you. You're not in free fall when you go through adversity. This is Romans eight that we talked about a few weeks ago. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The Lord is present and purposeful with you in every aspect of your life and every trial that you face and every time you feel like you're in free fall. And that's exactly what we find out with Joseph. Joseph goes to prison and we're immediately told by the storyteller, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. God is present there in the jail with Joseph. Is he mad at Joseph? No, he's showing Joseph steadfast love and that manifests itself because the jailer finds favor with Joseph. And that was God. It feels like free fall to Joseph, but he is in the hand of God and God is about to even use him more for his purposes. He's in the jail and he's so good at everything he does that the jailer gives him more and more responsibility. And there Joseph finds himself again, living out the purpose of his family to be a blessing to the nations. Everything prospers under Joseph's care. And then we find out that he's not just in any prison. He's in the prison where only the king's prisoners go. He's in the prison where only the king's prisoners are placed. This is exactly where God wants Joseph to be. It's exactly where God wants Joseph to be, even though it doesn't look like anything that Joseph would choose or anything we'd choose for Joseph or in the situations in our life, anything that we would choose for ourselves. God has got you exactly where he wants you to be. And that, that, that doesn't mean check out. No, Joseph's loyal. He's responsible. He works hard to move things forward and yet he's not able to get out of jail. You see, in this particular next chapter, Joseph is 28. You remember he was sold into slavery at 17. Now he's 28 and he's imprisoned with some of the king's prisoners. And they, two of the prisoners have a dream and he interprets the dream for them. And one is a very favorable interpretation that this person will be reinstated to the king's care, but the other interpretation is bad for the dreamer that he will lose his life to Pharaoh. And Joseph tells the one who's reinstated, he says, listen, I have had gross injustice done to me. I've been sinned against. I'm not even from this place. I'm from another land. I, don't, I didn't do anything to be in this pit with you. When you get out and when you get into Pharaoh's court, please, just remember that I'm here. Remember what I did for you. And please just tell Pharaoh something. See if you can get me out of here. And yes, I will do that. But the story ends with this dark moment that he's forgotten in this jail. And Chad's gonna preach on the next chapter next week, but we find out that he's forgotten for two years. 17, he's enslaved. Age 28, he's in Potiphar's house and then in in jail. And for two more years, he's stuck in that prison. But God is still present and purposeful with him. And for me, honestly, far from finding that time lapse of two years discouraging, I think we could be discouraged of that. I find it encouraging. And here's why, because it fits reality. It fits the reality that you and I experience every day. Much of our life is diligently working and praying and handling our responsibilities while we are waiting to see what God is gonna do and waiting and waiting and waiting to see what God will do. You and I slog it out every day. And we hope for drastic changes, but the changes often happen slowly over a long period of time, as we wait in prayer and trust on the Lord. And you wonder, where is God? Does he know I'm here? Is he here with me? Is there a purpose? And Joseph's story tells us, yes. Yes, there is purpose in your waiting. God is present with you as you wait. The Lord is present with his people in adversity and purposeful with his people in hard times. And the Joseph story reminds us of this truth. And let that sink in as you think about your life. You think about the challenges that you're going through and the areas of your life that make you want to quit and the areas of your life that make you wonder if God is present. The story of Joseph reminds us that the Lord is present and purposeful. The Joseph story reminds us of that truth. But the life and death and resurrection of Jesus seals that truth into our lives. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is a story of separation from God being present and restoration to God's presence. We were separated from God in the garden because of Sin nature, because of what Adam and Eve had done and because we have been willfully disloyal to him. And the only experience of God's presence that we deserve is that of a righteous and just judge over us. We have no currency or ability or good work or ability to be loyal to pay off the judge. And because of that, we are left in separation from God. Eternal separation from the presence of God when we die. And that is the bad news. But the good news is that God restores us to his presence and seals his presence into our lives. In God's great love for us, he sent a substitute to die for us. One who was fully God and fully man to be present with us. God the Father sends God the Son whose name is Emmanuel. God with us. And Emmanuel lives a perfect life but then is put on the cross to be punished and experience the presence of God the judge for us. God the Father removes his presence from his beloved Son, And Jesus dies alone without the presence of his father. And in Jesus' death, though he was separated from God's presence, we are restored to God's presence. No longer as judge, but as beloved father. And so now the promise over us is never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And then Jesus rises from the dead and meets with his disciples and says, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And Jesus ascends to the right hand of God the Father and pours out the Spirit so that the presence of God is not just around us, but it's living in us. And one day, God and the Lamb Jesus will return bring in a new city with them. And in that new city, you and I will live face to face in the presence of God forever. Joseph's story reminds us of the truth of God's presence and purposes, but it is sealed into our heart by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Where is God? If you know Jesus, he lives in you purposefully guiding your life, making you more like his beloved son and using you to be a blessing in our city. Whatever you are facing in your life that makes you want to quit, whatever, makes, whatever adversity is in your presence right now, know that it's only temporary because the presence of God is with you always because of what Jesus has done for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have done on our behalf. Lord, thank you that you, thank you for everything that you've done for us. Take a moment now just to reflect on what is it, what adversity in your life do you need to be reminded that the presence of God is with you in that.